Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Do you want to make friends? I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now that the dust has settled and the averages are rebounding like crazy, Dow gaining 371 points, S&P surging 1.8%, and NASDAQ pulling 2.24%. Well, it is very clear to me, I hope it's clear to you, that selling into the teeth of the sell-off earlier this week was a big mistake. I said so at the time, and I'm saying it again, because it is that important. In fact, tonight I want to go one step further and immunize you against the false fears. That's right, false fears. That caused so many people to panic over the past few days. Have to go back in history. I think it was an FDR moment, frankly, where you really the only thing you had to fear was fear itself. Because so many of these worries were totally groundless. Those fears set up a situation we haven't seen since the mini bear market bottoms back in December. We got a very high level of negativity back then, uh, as recorded by the Investors Intelligence Sentiment Index. It showed a dramatic drop in bullish sentiment from 38 to 21. Bears just rise from 30 to 48. Those are extraordinarily negative readings. But when you see those kinds of numbers, it's a reason to buy, not a reason to sell. Why? Because when you get numbers like we've had in the last week, where all the weak-handed bulls have turned bearish, well, that means there's no one left to sell. Whereas you got a lot of new, not necessarily battle-hardened bears who can be turned back to bullish like that. And that's what you saw. That's what you saw. The December bear market was caused by the Federal Reserve misreading the economy, frankly, Uh, raising interest rates even as business was already slowing. You were fighting the Fed back then if you liked stocks. But even then, when sentiment got that negative, you had to buy because the average did snap back in January. I try to distinguish then from now. We have a much better backdrop. The Fed has already cut interest rates once, and they might do so again, which means that this time the Fed is your friend, not your enemy. That's huge. We don't fight the Fed. Yet it's still very easy to scare people out of stocks, especially during a week like this one. It is much harder to be constructive or perhaps maybe have ice water in your veins, which is essential if you want to profit while everyone else is panicking. Now, since we're only human, I want to make it easier for you to resist the siren song of panic next time. And it's, there's going to be a next time i got to vaccinate you against the foolish arguments that naive commentators, misguided money managers, and people with no sense of history use to frighten you out of your portfolio, to make you go into cash, to make you take profits that you shouldn't have, make you take losses that you shouldn't have. First, and this one's totally bonkers. They'll tell you. They'll tell you that lower interest rates are are bad. I hear that all the time. I mean, that's, that's some Orwellian nonsense if I ever heard of it. War is peace. Oceania has always been at war with Eurasia. Lower interest rates are bad for business. 
Hey, my father got back from the war in, in the Pacific. He was able to get a GI Bill loan of 25000 to buy our house, 2% interest. As rates soared from those levels over the years, I remember hearing again and again that Pop had gotten the greatest deal of all time. It's the greatest deal of all time. And we would never see those rates again. If Pop were still alive today, he'd look at those ultra-low rates as an opportunity. Hey, they got zero interest rates in, uh, in Denmark. He'd probably go buy a place in Copenhagen. I mean, what the heck are people complaining about here? Not that long ago, we were fretting that the housing market was in trouble because rising rates had, had made it so that a house was not affordable. People wouldn't want to put uh, a, new, a new mortgage, get down payment. They couldn't even put down the down payment. Well, let me think. So we got now the down payment because there's good job growth. And now we have lower rates. That's called affordability, people. Problem solved. I know that historically seeing Treasury yields this low has usually been a bad sign, as is an inverted yield curve. They often mean that the economy is headed for recession. But as I've said before, I think that's a misdiagnosis. Our Treasury bonds are being snapped up by people from overseas who want a decent yield. In many cases, their own country's bonds are in negative territory. You get nothing. So they bid up our Treasuries where you get something that pushes our long-term interest rates down. But it's not a reason to panic out of stocks. Our economy's in good shape. We're not importing the recessions. And these ultra-low rates are how we benefit from the rest of the world's weakness. Positive. Second fear, China was going to devalue its currency to offset President Trump's tariffs. As it turns out, the Chinese last couple of nights are actually working hard to prevent more devaluation. But honestly, I say, so what? If you're worried about the tariffs hurting American consumers, then you should be happy as a weaker yuan means we won't need to eat the cost of the trade war. The third fear is related. After Yuan made its big move lower earlier this week, the Treasury Department freaked everybody out by accusing China of being a currency manipulator. Traders just went nuts. It made no sense to me. And I told you on our special, dial it back, people. Dial it back, like my wife tells me when I get angry. Now, this was a, sim- this was a symbolic move. Besides, everybody knows that China's a currency manipulator. I mean, hello? It is... You know, tape at film at eleven. China's. I mean, this this was honestly the dumbest one of all. Uh, now, most governments don't want to admit it. When the stock market gets crushed on a captain obvious moment, well, every day that that happens, I'm going to tell you, you have to buy, find something to buy, get that shopping list out. The fourth worry was about the strong dollar. We're told that it will hurt us. The president says it. It's only partially true. A strong dollar hurts American companies that export goods. It's terrible for manufacturing. But it's great for anyone who imports stuff from overseas because it makes foreign goods cheaper. And the United States is a huge importer. Long term, I prefer a weaker dollar to a stronger one because I want our country to rebuild its manufacturing base. But short term, there are more winners than losers from a strong greenback. Don't you ever doubt that? Remember, we're talking stocks, not economic might of our country. Finally, we were told that earnings are about to deteriorate and maybe deteriorate dramatically. So you had to sell stocks before it happens. It bothers me tremendously that the people who make this argument really seem to follow any companies themselves, let alone in, they, they don't look at individual companies. How can you make claims about corporate earnings without listening to the corporations themselves? Some companies will definitely take an earnings hit from the trade war. I got some lists later on if you stay with the show. But plenty of other companies will do it just fine. Here's what I see. Expectations have been ratcheted back for companies because of the fear, but their stocks refuse to roll over and play dead and then beat those expectations. Let me give you a few examples right in our faces today. I'm going to do AMD, Booking Holdings, and Roku. And you know all these companies, okay? For most of last, the last two weeks, look at this, okay? AMD, Vance Micro, has been hammered. Look at that thing. Largely Why? Because of economic weakness, fears of a newfound uh, decline in spend for data centers. 
Then yesterday, the company's redoubtable CEO, Lisa Su, many time guest, revealed some new chips that blew away the competition. Also landed some important new clients like Google, and that's on top of existing clients like Microsoft, Dell, HP Enterprise, VMware, Lenovo. In the old days, Intel had a lock on all those kinds of clients. In response, AMD shot up 16% today. Make you look like a real dope if you sold into the teeth of the economic weakness sell-off. The false fears led you astray. Okay, now there's Booking Holdings. That's the online travel company formerly known as Priceline, gigantic company. With all this doom and gloom and a so-called looming recession, well, you'd obviously expect the travel business, most discretionary, to be suffering, right? I mean, it makes sense. Why? 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 Wrong! Booking Holdings actually saw a 12% increase in book, rooms night, uh, book room nights, and it exceeded their expectations in, in, in Europe. Europe was strong for them. No wonder a stock rallies 6%. If we're going to recession, why would Europe be strong for a travel company? The biggest one. All right, how about Roku? This company helps you cut the cord on your cable package by letting you stream video from the web right to your TV. Roku's technology is now on one out of every five homes. They just reported an incredible quarter last night. Revenue up nearly 60% year-over-year. No wonder the stock skyrocketed more than 20% today. Well, you know, I mean, if you were worried about Amazon, I guess uh, you would have shorted Roku. <laughs> All right, here's the bottom line. It's easy, very easy to foment panic. It's easy to spread fears of recession. People do it all day. And hey, if I really believed the slowdown was imminent, believe me, I'd be screaming from the rooftops like I did in 2007, 2008. They know nothing. But we just don't have those circumstances now, which is why you have to remember that the next time the market gets hammered by a set of bogus worries, you got to keep calm and carry on. Can't believe that list. Bear not. Bear not. So angry today. Let's go to John in New York. John. Jim, you got to know when to buy them, know when to sell them, and know when to hold because every stock's a winner and every stock's a loser because it's all in the earnings. And that's my advice to you. All right, Chief. That's good. Good rendition of Kenny Rogers. Yeah, that's good. All right, go ahead. Okay, this is John, 70 years old in New York, highest tax state in the nation. I buy dividend-paying stocks. This stock pays 2.7%. Question, I bought this stock because I met quarterly earnings and guidance. It was a pride in New York, yet I went down this recent market turmoil. Bought it at 30.85. Major projects are Gorilla Glass, fiber optics, and diesel catalytic converters, which will save the world. P's at 18, it dropped over two points. Should I buy, sell, or hold? Stock is corning. Well, I know corning well. I used to be up there all the time calling on them when I was at Goldman Sachs. And I've got to tell you, I like that company. It's got the balance sheet better. Remember when it did go to really extreme heights during the great bull market in, in Telco. But I think it, I saw an upgrade today. The upgrade made sense to me. It didn't make me want to jump up and down. I would have probably waited to three on the yield. But I, I bless it. I bless it. And, um, and I think that you should not quit your day job when it comes to, like, singing about stocks. Fair? Fair? Okay. Uh, little kids are even nodding their heads here. Let's go, let's go to Jerry in North Carolina. Jerry! What's up, Big Jim? Jim, reference to my I'm sitting here with my great son, Ethan, Hi. and we've got a question for you. Uh, Jim, I loved your rationale describing the, how the trade conflict with China is creating opportunity. Yes! Is, Rock, is Rockwell Automation a good one-year investment? to play the shifting manufacturing supply chain. It's okay. I like your opinion. It's okay. It's, it's not great. It's okay. Um, if you want to, honestly, 
I, I can't just pound the table because the numbers haven't been that good. I mean, it's kind of like Emerson, although Emerson is more China. I'd love to be more bullish. I can't be more bullish. But even the children recoiled. How about the fact that the kids watch this darn show? All right. It's a stock show for heaven's sake. How come they like it? Because we try so hard. We try to entertain. We try to make it exciting. We try to even bring every little kid to the party. Oh, my God. How do you like that? All right. Fear not. Lower interest rates. Lower your Chinese wine. Currency manipulator charge. Strong dollar and earnings. We got your back. There's nothing to fear but fear itself. Oh, man, tonight, looking for the perfect investment. Pet IQ imported excellent quarters. Now the right time to buy. I got exclusive with the CEO. And is it time to go shopping for high-quality stocks? I'm circling back to a couple IPOs that you should own. And 5.9 is up nearly 7% today. Could it be headed even higher? Interesting company. You better watch. Stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. You know me, I'm a gigantic believer in the humanization of pets. The thesis that we're treating companion animals more and more like members of the family, which means we need to buy them better food, treat them better, better health care. But some of these humanization of pet stocks have been more controversial than others. Why don't you take a company called Pet IQ, which makes veterinary products, think over-the-counter flea and tick preventives, to uh, prescription drugs, to health and wellness stuff. On top of that, the company also runs its very own veterinary clinics, thanks to a recent acquisition. Imagine police that they can ultimately open a thousand stores in the United States. It's been a volatile year for Pet IQ, by the way. That's PETQ for the home gamers. In March, the company reported a fabulous quarter and the stock roared. Then in late April, Pet IQ was savaged by a short seller who publicly attacked the company, managed to chop 20% off of its market cap instantly. It was brutal. Fortunately, it didn't take long for the company to report another great quarter, and since then, the stock has been on a roll, even if it did get dinged pretty hard during the recent sell-off. Last night, Pet IQ reported again, and once again, they, they knocked it out of the park. Earning 70 cents a share, companies only people only looking for 35 cents. Talk about a gigantic beat, right? Substantially higher than, than anticipated revenues. Stock surged higher at the open, but then it ended up giving up most of its gains. The whole market took off. Investors swapped into other names. I think that's a mistake. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with Cord Christensen, the chairman and CEO of Pet IQ. Hear more about the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Christensen, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thank you for having me on today. All so right, good so- to be here. Court, I'm looking at the Connect and Leverage Products and Services uh, chart in your uh, Pet IQ deck. There we got Amazon, we got Google, we got YouTube, Walmart, Target, uh, Tractor Supply, which I've been to use, use that myself. I mean, you kind of got everybody locked up, don't you? Yeah, we're really doing business with everyone, and we've been able to really take our mission to the market, and the market's been extremely receptive. Our partnerships with our retailers has allowed us to access 
a huge population of pets out there, and it's allowed us to bring our mission forward of being advocates for those pet parents and helping them find ways to save money on both their products and the services they need to provide better health care. And, and ultimately, we're bringing thousands and thousands, even millions of pets into the category that haven't been getting proper health care. So we're really excited how the mission is moving forward. And we obviously love the fact that the numbers continue to show quarter after quarter that it's working. Well, let's talk about the wellness centers because it's something I'm involved in. I read that and I said, OK, well, tell me, how does Pet IQ, one wellness center is the same as another? What are you doing differently? I think the biggest thing we focus on is we're incredibly transparent with our model and what we charge and what we're doing with the pet owner. The pet owner is involved in really choosing their wellness pattern, and ultimately we're matching up the most um, benefit we can provide for the pet for what they can afford, which I think is a little bit different and not as intimidating. And so the user experiencing leaving our clinics is extremely positive because they know they had an honest, transparent, great experience, and, and ultimately they tell their friends, and then they come back and they're their pets come back. And so it's, it's something where our average ticket is running less than $100 to take care of your pet's health and wellness needs, which means it's extremely affordable for us to help people take care of their pets in a better way. Now, I think both because of the humanization of pets and also because it's cash pay. I see veterinary clinics opening up all over the place. Now, that's just maybe in my area. But is there room for another thousand by pet IQ if a lot, if a lot of, of doctors are going into it knowing that it's an incredibly lucrative business because it's cash? Yeah, look, there's a, there's a lot of clinics out there, but there's a ton of pets that aren't seeing the veterinarian, and there's a ton of ways you're going to go reach those pets. We think our model is different because we locate our, our clinics inside of major retailers, and those major retailers today represent virtually 90% of all the calories that pets consume in this country. And so we put the clinics where the pets are. We call it our follow the pets uh, mission and where we're allowing the services to be where they already are. Um, And ultimately, we already have 3,500 stores we run community clinics in today. Those services are the same, but we only run a day a week in those environments. And all we really are doing now is taking that community clinic concept and doing it five days a week, and we call it a wellness center. And that wellness center allows us to be more accessible and more available for more pets in that area. So it's it's definitely working. Okay. Now, I recently interviewed the CEO of Chewy. And you go around, you see a lot of Chewy boxes and UPS getting out there. Enough room, Chewy? Good competitor, right? Um, Chewy actually today is one of our strategic partners, and we do a significant amount of business with Chewy. So we're aligned to drive the same mission. They want to see pets get better health care. Their recent prescription drug launch allowed them to help get that mission further, further pushed out to the market. And it's been a huge benefit actually to our company and been part of the reason why our numbers are so significantly over this past quarter. All right. So let me understand this because I, I want to be sure because uh, when I looked into it, it wasn't, I did not see Chewy at, on your deck. So that's why I was confused. I admit, wish I'd known that. But I want to understand, I mean, they, ident- they affiliated with you. You as they go up, you go up and I, it's a significant delta for your company. Significant Delta. We've been involved with Chewy since organizing the launch of their prescription drug program and been strategically involved in helping uh, provide product to them. And then obviously we are looking at smarter ways to educate their customer base, how to find our clinics and do things that help us all just move the mission forward. We all want the same thing, better health care, better products, more pets being treated. And how about the Perigo acquisition? How's that going for you? You know, we're 30 days today and it's been fantastic. The, the first 30 days have been very enlightening as we've been able to philosophically align with the team, get them integrated into how we do business, take our combined message out to the, to the market, and we definitely see this acquisition as accretive to the company. 
we've been able to you know first pick up a margin profile that's significantly better for our product base so it's accretive to the margins of the company uh, we see tons of white space with our focus and our leverage across what we do to drive additional placement and sales volume and then obviously we picked up a significant asset with the manufacturing facility they have in omaha nebraska which is what i believe is the best product uh, manufacturing for health and wellness in the country Okay, one last question. You said that you could have 15% growth. Was, that, was Pargo doing any, any of I don't think they were doing anywhere near that kind of growth for that division, right? No, we, we've been competitors for, for a long time. In the last three years, uh, we've done a really nice job of, of impacting their growth. And it's obviously you've seen it on our side, the growth coming that way. As we've looked into the combined company, we definitely believe we can put them on a place to be growing at 15% year over year on their base with, a, I mean, like I said, a very nice margin profile on that 15%. Terrific. All right. Well, look, I think the story is a good one. Didn't understand the action, frankly, after because it seems like a great buy. you got fabulous growth. I want to thank Court Christensen, Chairman and CEO of Pet IQ. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you, Jim. These guys have a lot of the channels locked up. That sounds pretty promising to me. And yet the stock didn't pop after a great quarter. That seems wrong to me. Mad Money's back in. Now that China appears to be behaving itself on the currency front and the dust has settled, at least for this week, uh, with the averages roaring back today, it's time, I think, to do some shopping for some high-quality stocks while you can still get them at a bit of a discount versus where they were trading just a week ago. That's why today I want to circle back to some companies that had the misfortune of holding their IPOs right before the trade war-inspired meltdown. Not only, by the way, what happened to Uber, where you also had that kind of meltdown after, and people just freaked out. I'm talking about a pair of digital healthcare companies that came public in the same day, roughly two weeks ago. Live and Go, that's L the L I V O N G O, Live and Go Health, L V G O is the symbol, and Health Catalyst, H C A T. Now both IPOs spiked right out of the gate. But once the market got hammered, they came right back down. In other words, you're getting a second bite at the apple. Although uh, with the way that they're bouncing around today, it's smaller bite than I would have liked. Let's take them one by one. Let's start with this live and go. This is a technology company that helps people with chronic illnesses manage their diabetes, their conditions, especially diabetes. It's basically a personal health platform. They use smart devices to monitor your data, and then they actually show it to doctors. So for diabetes, you're already checking your blood sugar levels multiple times a day. Live and Go monitors those numbers 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And they give you advice based on what they're seeing. It's like having a personalized digital health coach. Because they have a huge data set, they know how to nudge you towards a healthy lifestyle. Now, the company now does the same thing for hypertension, prediabetes, and obesity, among other conditions. And based on its evidence, it works, meaning Live and Go delivers uh, better health care outcomes at lower costs. Isn't that what the system needs? Crying out for that, right? Makes sense. An ounce of prevention is definitely worth a bad cure. And that's why all sorts of employers and health maintenance organizations are willing to offer Live and Go for free. Now, they pay up to $60 to $70 a month per person, then end up saving a fortune on actual coverage. Their clients include four of the seven largest health plans in the country. This is the real deal. This thing just got overlooked. Sure, for many Americans, we don't really have a functional health care system, but Live and Go's got an app for that. 
How about the numbers? Last year, the company's total clients nearly doubled. Their enrolled diabetes patients increased by 111%. And in the most recent quarter, it was 140%. That translated into 157% revenue growth in the latest quarter. Yeah, 157, up from 122 last year. And Wall Street loves accelerating revenue growth, or ARG, even if the company's a long way from turning a profit. No wonder the stock spiked from 28 to 40 and, and changed the morning it came public. Livongo, Livongo, I'm mispronouncing, peaked at $45.68 last week. Thanks to the market-wide sell-off, it's now back down to $33 and change. Even here, the stock isn't cheap, selling for nine times next year's sales estimates. But given that it's growing at a 100% plus, plus clip, I think that's a justifiable valuation. Don't buy it all at once, though. If you like this one, you need to buy it gradually in stages on the way down, just in case we keep getting hit. I have to wonder why, by the way, Apple didn't buy Livongo. Why didn't they buy it? That's exactly what they need to boost their revenue stream. You know that service stream that I like so much? That same day, we got another digital IPO. It's called Health Catalyst. Here's a cloud-based analytics software company that serves healthcare providers. If you're running, say, a hospital, you're sitting on a treasure trove of data, but far too often they just sit on that information. Health Catalyst gives them the tools they need to analyze their data in order to make better decisions, both on the medical side and on the business side. Basically, they help healthcare providers figure out what really works and what doesn't in the most cost-effective way. Just like Livongo, Health, Ca- Health Catalyst has fabulous financials. The company racked up 54% revenue growth last year, which accelerated to 70% in the first quarter of 2019, although it did drop back to 59% in the second quarter. Uh, on the other hand, that's better than last year. Unlike Livongo, Health Catalyst is closer to turning a profit. Their margins are moving in the right direction, although they're still losing money for now. Despite the revenue deceleration in the latest quarter, the margins got much, much better. Again, it's easy to see why the IPO price is 26 and then stock opened at 37.50. Over the, remember, especially with the slowing economy. Over the next week, health catalyst surged to just under 46. Then it got hammered along with everything else. Two days ago, it was trading at 38. I sure wish I had spent some time talking about it then because that was the perfect moment to buy. Since then, health catalyst has come roaring back, including a fabulous 6% run today, bringing the stock back to nearly 43. Ah, feel bad that it didn't push it to you. At these levels, the valuation is practically sane still, though. Health Catalyst trades at less than six times next year's sales. I know it sounds expensive, but it's a high-growth company. Using my back-of-the-envelope calculations, well, it's pretty reasonable for a company with 50% plus revenue growth. Can the stock go higher? Sure. But look at the way it's rebounding here. If we get another dip, I would pounce on this one because we know Health Catalyst can come roaring back. We just saw that. I think you buy a little tomorrow. Uh, and then hope for a trade war turmoil so you can buy more and get bigger in the position. These healthcare cost containment plays, are, oh, they almost never go out of style, except during a hideous meltdown like the one we seem to have finally come out of the other side. I think they're primed to keep roaring back. And just like we saw today, you can see what happens. These bounce hard. If this is only a temporary reprieve, that just means you can get to buy even more at lower levels. Bottom line, don't let fear blind you to opportunities that are staring you right in the face. Livongo and Health Catalyst both came public with a bang two weeks ago. Their stocks exploded higher. Thanks to the hideous sell-off, they pulled back from their highs. If you believe in the healthcare technology space like I do, one of the few cohorts that's immunized against worries about a Sanders or Warren administration trying to implement Medicare for all, I think Livongo and Health Catalyst are both worth buying here, so long as you don't buy them all at once. These are two gems. I really like them. Jason in Illinois. Jason. Mr. Kramer. Yes. Booyah from the Windy City. Done your way. Thank you very much for what you do for us. Uh, real quick, I'm holding positions in Apple, Microsoft, Disney, Bank of America. Okay. I'm looking to add another to my portfolio. 
We've talked about it in the past, but it has fallen on some tough times. What is your opinion of Moderna? Okay, I liked Moderna, uh, and I met with them, and I talked with them, and so far it has not been a productive uh, stock to own. Uh, I, I got to see I got to see some sort of bottom. I like Moderna to come on because, boy, they told a good story. But so far, the market's not liking that story. So I, I have to say hold off for now. Let's go to Chris in California. Chris. Hello, Mr. Kramer. How are you? Good. How are you? you for all the, <laughs> thank you for all the available information that you shared with us daily. Thank you. I'm also a new member of Action Alert recently. Ah, thank you very much. My good club call coming. is Beyond Meat Symbol BYND. Woo! Yeah, I missed the opportunity to buy the stock in May when it went public. The stock price plunged recently after it announced secondary offering. Tyson Food also planning to develop its own line of alternative protein products. Will there be more competition moving forward? Do you think it's still a good growing company well, to invest? I think Ethan Brown is doing a great job. You think- oh, thank you, and thank you for being a member of the club. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, Beyond Meat is still worth $10 billion. It, That's too much, okay? I think that the company is going to be terrific. It needs to grow into its market cap. Impossible's coming. That's a good company, but it's GMO. I listened to the Tyson Conference call. They do too much of, uh, of a blend of plant and meat. That doesn't work at all. But this company just did a 3.2 million share secondary, and the stock is very heavy. I want you to wait. It's going to come in, I believe. Let's go to David in California. Please, David. Hi, Booyah from Central Coast of California, Jim, and thanks so much for what you do. Oh, thank you. I love where you live. What's up? Jumia Technology, called the Amazon of Africa, went public on April 12th at 1450. The range of the stock's been 1260 to 4977. It's closed today down 22 cents at 1324. What's your opinion of Jumia Technology? David, I analyzed this thing when it popped at the beginning. Uh, went all the way up, and I doubled, and I came came to the conclusion that it's uninvestable. We can't figure out what the heck is going on with it, uh, so therefore I cannot recommend it. Uh, and I do want to emphasize that it is dicey, like Beyond Meat and like Moderna. All three questioners were talking about very speculative situations. Don't let fear blind you to opportunities. Livongo and Health Catalyst are two gems worth buying here. Still more man money ahead. 5-9 is coming back with a vengeance. Is it time to get your head in the cloud? Cloud 5-9 I'm talking about. I'm going to go one-on-one with the CEO to find out. Then some countries have become as hazardous to a company's health as you can get. I'm taking a look at the last brick standing. Lawyer calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. know whether this market's gotten its groove back, just look at 5.9. That's a cloud-based software company that helps companies manage their customer contact centers, allowing them to cut costs and, of course, improve engagement. Here's a stock that barely even got dinged during the big market-wide sell-off because its business is so strong. On Wednesday of last week, 5.9 reported a magnificent quarter, a big top-line beat, huge bottom-line beat, and a raise for your forecast. It was a grand slam, people. Stock exploded higher, growing from $49 to $57 in a single session. I, th- I think it would have kept running because the quarter was so good. Then, of course, the market rolled over. Today, though, investors circled back to 5.9. Look, there's so many of the high-growth stocks that are really working. And it jumped uh, another four, four, nearly 4 bucks or 7%. Can you keep climbing? Let's take a closer look with Rowan Trollop. And Rowan is the uh, CEO of 5.9. I'm happy to have him back. Mr. Trollop, welcome back to Mad Money. I've got to tell you, Rowan, I'm, I, can't, I, I, I can't resist. I know you might think it's unfair, but this weekend, I'm sure you saw the article in the Wall Street Journal. 
everyone hates customer I service. I did read that article. Okay, do they hate 5.9? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, that's the problem that we're fixing. This is the problem that everybody has, right? You call into a call center, you give them the runaround, you can't reach the- you can't reach somebody. And why is that? It's because of these old legacy on-premises systems. They're too complex, they're too expensive, and they're hard to maintain. So that's what's really driving the success that you saw with 5.9 in the last quarter. Okay, so I am an Estee Lauder associate, uh, and I am concerned there was an issue involving some sort of manufacturing issue. It was cleared up immediately. People were concerned about whether they, they have something that was wrong with the product. What does 5.9 let me do that I couldn't do if I just hired a bunch of people who are very considerate and nice? Yeah, so it's all about intelligence, right? When you think about you as the, the consumer when you're calling into a brand, you want to get to the right person as quickly as possible. And finding that right person is critical, like finding the person who can answer your problem. Right. So Estee is a customer of 5.9. And think, think about the old days of Estee, the, the front door to that business was you walk into a retail outlet or you talk to somebody right. in the white coat. And what do you do now, right? You buy something online, you're, you're going to call into a call center. So the call center has moved from the basement up to the front well, door of every business. So is that why you we're said in that, all about intelligence? Okay, now this is important because you said in your conference call, the market is huge and customer interactions are absolutely exploiting. And that's because of the e-com? E-commerce is a huge driver. Yes, absolutely. You so, know. You know, so Lululemon, uh, when they have a, a catalog that they want to know whether the catalog is doing well, they can monitor uh, through you? Absolutely. So Lululemon is a customer, and they, you know, when you want to call in to their call center or get help, that's, you know, you're actually going to be routed by 5.9. We're going to have all that intelligence that's about connecting you to the right person, whether it's on a phone call or on a message or email. So we're, we're sort of multi-channel we, or an omni-channel. We do all the ways that a customer want to connect. Okay, to, so to uh, we own an, an inn in Summit, New Jersey, the DeBarry. We use Expedia. Let's say we have a problem. We're not a customer of Expedia, so to speak, in terms of someone calling up and getting uh, booking something. But we need to speak to someone, and we need special service because it's a very important thing. How do we get routed by 5.9 versus some other system? This is a great, a great example, actually, Jim. So take Expedia, who's a 5.9 customer. So imagine that you, uh, we have some information on you before, like, let's say you've called in right. okay, or sent a message. We can gain information about you, and we can know information about you based on your caller ID. So, so we'll know who you are. We can link that back into Expedia's system. We can understand that you uh, are, are living in this, in this city. And let's say that we understand also that you're interested in, uh, in, in travel to right. a specific, you know, maybe you've been on their website and we've, they've tracked you understanding what you are clicking on and where you're going. So you, let's say you're, you're interested in traveling to beautiful California. Okay. And so what they do is they say, well, who are the representatives here who know about California or have been to California recently? So instead of just connecting you to anyone, Okay, they connect you to someone who's actually been to California recently, and they use intelligence from companies like Five Nine and others. And we're sort of we sit in the middle and help orchestrate all. Okay, that. so um, in that chair the other day was someone from Live Person, and they Great told company. us a very good story. And when we were in California, we met with Zendesk, and they're very good. Is it just a giant scrum, a, a land grab? It's a rich tapestry. So, so Zendesk is a good partner of ours. Uh, you know, often you'll see com- uh, companies. Uh, 
by Zendesk because they are transforming the customer service right. landscape and moving to a lot of self-service. And we help them when they move into the large enterprise and they want to sell larger businesses. We help and we actually partner with Zendesk and we integrate okay. deeply there. So yeah, no, it's, it's actually, it's a big team effort, service, uh, service cloud at Salesforce, right. a big part of this. There's a whole bunch of companies in this landscape, you mentioned Live Person, that are actually helping and we're all doing, we're all doing different parts of the ecosystem. Well, I just, I, I kind of try to figure out uh, what the differentiator for um, for a live person for you? Because live person, honestly, they were just here, and I said, "Wow, they use this text message. That seems like a great thing." Millennials like the text. Yes. Do you offer a similar feature? We do. We do. Now they they are more exclusively on the text front. Yes, they are. That's how they got started, and right. they're adding intelligence there. We tend to be more focused on the live interactions. So live interactions, including phone or SMS, okay. and you know we are bringing that same kind of intelligence to the live interactions. Uh, but that's where you would see the difference between us and a live person is they're more focused on the messaging side. They don't do anything to do with, with, with voice uh, or with, uh, okay. with other things. We're really focused on that. So a lot of companies actually use both of us. Okay. Uh, and I know that they may say, listen, we do have some voice, but I understand when you say the message. Now, is there such a term as breakpoint or is that something that the journalists were using? I had never heard of that. Oh, come on. I swear. You sure? Yeah, I Stack of Bibles at 5'9 no. does not know about the breakpoint no. where people get fed up and angry. No, I've never heard of that. Well, but you're the largest. I'm in the industry. I'm, you're the, so, yeah, I'm surprised. So the, Maybe some people look at it that way. But here's the, here's the macro, Jim. So <laughs> the, the, the real recognition of what's going on, <laughs> the real recognition <laughs> of what's going on from these businesses is that you can't afford to have customer service be an afterthought. You can't afford right. to have it be in the basement. You need to have it become the front door. So that's what's actually driving the investment. Why, why, is, why are companies like ours doing so well? Because businesses are more willing to spend money. It's a strategic investment. Morgan yes. Stanley right. last quarter did a, a research note, and they said that in the cloud, the number one priority for tech spend is on customer experience transformation. Yeah, so while there are companies great. out there like the Wall Street Journal referred to, I think increasingly more companies are recognizing they've got to spend more money and deliver a way better service experience to their consumer or else they're going to lose them. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. That's Roland Trollope. He's the CEO of Five9. If he doesn't know about Breakpoint, maybe it's, maybe it's a surfing term. <laughs> Their money's back here for the break. <laughs> It is time! It's time for the night round! Because what's around? Because we're on the scene. So, Papa, I'm so sorry. I'm so And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski? Got it! Time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Todd in Illinois. Todd! Jim, how are you? I am good, Todd. How about you? Doing great. Want to know your thoughts on Twitter as we head into a big election time? I think Twitter's doing exceptionally well. I think it is now put in the same conversation as Google and Facebook. And you should own the stock if you want to buy it. I think it's fine right here. I need to go to Bob in Pennsylvania. Please, Bob. Hello, Mr. Kramer. Hey, what's I up? I bought the stock because of the dividend, and now the price is killing me. Symbol is M as in Mary. No, no, we're not recommending. Other than EPD, I don't want to own any of those stocks. And I'll tell you why, because they have no growth. And that's why, even though they've got those good yields, people regard them as wasting assets. I don't want you in them. Let's go to Mark in Arizona. Mark. Good evening, Jim. What's up? Um, On your show, you keep talking about cannabis stocks, such as Cronus, Canopy, and GW. But I have never heard you mention IIPR. 
innovative industrial properties. Au contraire, mon frère. We actually just recommended that the other day. Flutter's a good way to play the cannabis stocks. How about the way I didn't pronounce yesterday the cannabinoid, how I got that one wrong? But I got the harder one, the Epidiolex right? I mean, hey. Okay, let's go to Sam in Ohio. Sam. Booyah. Oh, booyah. My friend. Booyah. Hey, I bought the CD, CLDR last week. Should I buy more? Huh? Huh, no, that my mom will be angry. Excuse me, sir? Pardon me? Oh, Claudette, no, no. I mean, you know, they're in the penalty box for me in my life. No, actually, the next quarter could be better, but I just don't want to risk it. It's just too risky. No, come on. Todd in Texas, the second time in the lightning round. Todd. Uh, good evening, Barrister Kramer. Todd in Plano, Texas, first time caller. First, I just want to thank you. Thank you for all you do to help us make money to pay medical bills. we got a sick baby boy here that has a rare pediatric liver disease and needs a liver transplant. All right. Well, like I wish you the best of luck and best of luck. Wow. I hope everything works out. Yeah. Thank you. Question is, uh, Chip Johnson, he and I go way back to New Mexico military and student Roswell, New Mexico. He's a very smart guy. He's valedictorian. But is this two-for-one deal with Callan a smart deal? I mean, the stock. You know, I don't know. I mean, look, I like Chip just as you do. Uh, I think he's terrific. Met his daughter when I was in California recently. And you know what? I, I have to tell you that I think he sold too cheap. Uh, I'd love to have him come on to defend it, but I think he sold too cheap. And I agree with you. He's a real smart guy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Remember Brick? I'm a big acronym guy. We got Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, and Alphabet, which was formerly Google. We've got Watch, which is Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. That's the big five retailers. But 10 to 15 years ago, it was all about Brick. Brazil, Russia, India, and China. The acronym was coined by the brilliant Jim O'Neill at Goldman Sachs way back in 2001, but it really didn't come common parlance until about a dozen, and maybe a dozen years ago. Back then, if you were an industrial company, you either dove into brick head first or you were left behind, struggling with the slower growth of the United States. One by one, though, these bricks became hazardous to your health and your wealth. Brazil went from, Brazil went from turbo growth mode to perpetual recession with a currency that always seems to be on the verge of collapse, not unlike the last few Brazilian governments. Russia? Vlad Putin has turned that country into a full-blown kleptocracy that's a nightmare for any business, except the ones he and his friends happen to own. Hey, don't believe me? Go read the latest quarter from the squeaky clean international flavors and fragrances we like so much. Last year, they bought Fruiteram, which is an Israeli company that makes artificial flavors, only to find that Fruiteram was making big payoffs to do business in Russia, and the former CEO may have known about it. High-level officials. As for India... Everybody's been trying to crack into that gigantic market for ages. Apple needs India because it's the fastest growing cohort of young people on Earth. But it's been a perpetual disappointment for them. And I think Apple's had a better experience than most. Walmart paid $16 billion for an Indian e-commerce company, Flipkart. Well, I got to say is good luck. No American company's been able to come up with a way to make money at scale in India. Even as the other bricks fell by the wayside, oh, these things are so heavy you wouldn't believe it, uh, there was always China. That's the one market that always worked. It was the C that worked. 
The country with the most mouths to feed, buildings to build, roads to pave, air miles to travel, stores to shop, sneakers to wear, diapers to change, credit to extend, calls to make. China became the saving grace of the BRICS. Is this Zumba? Is that how it works? However, as the, as the Chinese economy kept growing, the options to actually make money in China seemed to shrink. Ten years ago, the companies were willing to accept the ruling Communist Party's onerous terms. You had to form a joint venture, a bogus one, with a local business that would likely steal your intellectual property. But there was so much money to be made, it was worth it. Now, though, our companies have come to see China as a double-edged sword. Sure, it's a huge market, but if you get involved, your local joint venture partners will quickly learn all your trade secrets, steal them, and set up shop as competitors. That's what happens. That's why everyone's so upset in Washington, or at least uh, Peter Navarro is. Many companies were still willing to make that trade-off, but President Trump has always had a seething contempt for the way China does business. So he rolled out his tariffs in an effort to get the Chinese government to change its ways. If you do business in the People's Republic, Trump has reduced your earnings per share in nearly every way imaginable. All in all, it's just another brick in the wall. So the seeing brick has now become the last straw. What's happening now with this earnings season is that we're finally putting a pencil to the seemingly unfathomable pain of the trade war. In some cases, there's a lot of damage. In other places, it's manageable. The companies that are deeply intertwined with the Chinese economy are getting hurt from all sides. Semiconductor stocks, good ones like Skyworks Solutions reported tonight. Today are seeing amazing shrinking price to earnings multiples. Even as they put up surprisingly good numbers, despite lost business from renegade Huawei. Consumer product companies are wary. Anything cell phone related is being heavily scrutinized. Only one American company, Starbucks, has bucked the trend. In large part because former CEO Howard Schultz decided his Chinese China business should embrace Chinese culture wholeheartedly. It worked. On the other hand, cyclical companies that relied on China for their growth, uh, companies like FedEx, 3M, Emerson, are now despised. Despised. No one knows what to do with Boeing, which I still regard as the greatest manufacturer on earth. And everyone who tells you that there is something to do, buy or sell, is blowing smoke. I think things will get worse for China before they get better. Maybe much worse. There's no reason for President Trump to make concessions just yet. We're too far from the election. Chinese government still isn't willing to bend. But one thing is for sure. Brick exposure means your earnings are suspect. You're guilty until proven innocent. Instead, Wall Street now wants to pay up for purely domestic companies with no apparent ties to Brazil, Russia, India, or China, for that matter. In short, Brick has been bricked. And I don't see that verdict changing anytime soon. Stick with Kramer. My mother told me that comparisons are odious, but I've got to tell you, Lyft was much better than Uber. Uber spent too much money and didn't get the sales. I really care about the sales line for these kinds of companies, and it was disappointing. There's no two ways about it. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow! I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.